0: Hi everyone and welcome to the very first ever inaugural CBRL British Institute in Amman podcast. I'm Dr Philip Proudfoot and I'm the Assistant Director of the British Institute and we're launching this podcast to complement our existing lecture recordings with a more interactive and hopefully more dynamic interview with people who are both speaking at the British Institute or staying with us and conducting research. And it's my great pleasure then to introduce our first interviewee, uh, Dr Ali Ali from the Oxford Refugee Studies Centre, who's been conducting research in Jordan and in Lebanon around policy responses to the current moment of Syrian refugee crisis. Yeah, so Ali, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, the project you've been working on?
1: Thank you, Philip. Yes, so our project uh, compares the policy towards Syrian refugees in neighboring countries, Lebanon, Jordan, and Turkey. We have another academic, Fulia Memisholu, who's uh, been conducting research in Turkey. Um, I've been conducting work in Lebanon and in Jordan. I've been interviewing various officials in national and local level government, as well as people from uh, international NGOs and local NGOs, community organizations and civil society representatives. Mm-hmm. And what was your uh,
0: doctoral research on how did you get to this point in your career where you are now at uh, working on this project?
1: Okay, so... What
0: are your specialties?
1: Um, my thesis was about the relationship between uh, state transformation and displacement in Iraq after the occupation um, and I explored the decision-making processes to try and explain how Iraqis made decisions to leave their homes in a time of uh, serious crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, I then spent, well my field work for that was in Damascus, in Syria. Um, Following that I was working at the LSE, um, in the Department of International Development, working on a a project about the conflict in Syria, different aspects of the conflict such as um, governance in opposition areas. The war economy and the use of technology by activists to challenge the Syrian state. Mm. Um, and then I ended up in uh, Oxford in the Refugee Studies Centre um, because I'd spent a lot of time in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been looking at many different issues with implications for displacement, um, and so I've moved on to looking at the way that the, the states in neighbouring countries manage uh, the. The presence of large numbers of Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, if you were a Syrian refugee, would you rather be in Lebanon or Amman in uh, Jordan?
1: Hmm. Interesting question. Do Do I have lots of capital?
0: You have. Okay. So we'll start. You have a. You're you a from a farming background, poor, impoverished Syrian refugee, and you get to choose. Which country is a more comfortable place for you to be as an impoverished rural farming Syrian?
1: Oh wow, I think um, I think that's what Alan Wertheimer calls a hard choice <laughs> both of them are quite unpalatable mm. um, uh, f- they're both extremely difficult, I guess I would if I was a rural labourer I probably would prefer to be in Lebanon mm. um, however um, because of the longer historical links with With Syrian uh, rural labor. Mm. However, um, as as a Syrian in Jordan, I wouldn't be illegal. Mm. And and I wouldn't have to pay hundreds of dollars Mm. a year or every six months Mm. to pay. But that wasn't always the
0: situation in in Lebanon, right? That's right. It's it's reached a point where it's become like that. That's right. Since uh,
1: 2014, um, October 2014 is when The uh, Lebanese Council of Ministers passed uh, what I'm going to refer to as the October policy Mm -hmm. where they decided to reduce displacement from Syria Mm. to reduce the numbers and to impose uh, a series of constraints upon Syrian refugees in Lebanon Mm. and with some exceptions for those who have property uh, in Lebanon or some kind Mm. of investment and those who are coming for tourism and medical purposes, so given mm. short stays, um, and those who can afford to pay university tuition fees can come to Lebanon to study. Mm. Um, however, this is um, it's the first time in, I think, a number of decades that yeah. that led that Syrians have had to um, provide. Uh, documentation or yeah,
0: reason. It's strange, isn't it? Considering that you just said earlier that uh, for an agricultural worker, Lebanon would be the natural choice because mm. the Lebanese economy has relied on these this large flow of uh, of malleable labor. So why, in this situation, do you think that seemingly the the political decision making has overtaken the economic decision making in Lebanon? Why mm. are they taking? Why are they enacting policies that seem to actually harm how the economy? In Lebanon, functioned uh, in regards to labor.
1: Well, in in, in a sense, they're they're not. Um, mm. What they're doing, the effects of what they're doing, um, among them are that, that wages have been pushed down. Yeah. Because of the the very precarious nature of Syrians in Lebanon now, mm. um, there there are there are plans to remove the two hundred dollar residence fee. Um, I understand that. Um, General Security, the agency which is tasked with Lebanon's border security and management um, and issuing residency for Syrians and so on, um, will be removing this. Um, But I'm I'm waiting to hear if this is actually being rolled out. Yeah. Um, But this creation of a... These constraints make Syrians, particularly those with no capital and investments Mm. and property, Mm. put them in a very precarious Mm. position. Mm. Um, and they're no longer able to go back and forth yeah. to Syria. To, I mean, the the changes in the in the two uh, thousands under Bashar al-Assad, mm. the um, liberalisation of the economy, the removal yeah. of subsidies, and so yeah. on and so forth, yeah. um, gradually depleted, as you know, the yeah. the support networks, yeah. um, the welfare net for yeah. large numbers of Syrians, um, and it was this that they. Um, relied upon uh, when they went back to Syria after working in Lebanon during the seasons on construction projects mm-hmm. they could always go back home to their families and yeah. support networks yeah. now that's been decimated now yeah. if not completely destroyed yeah. since the uprising the repression of the uprising um, particularly in opposition areas and imposing this um, what well, closing the border basically to Syrians in Lebanon means that those who are now in Lebanon um, do not want to take that risk of going Mm. back out. The the cost of leaving Mm. um, is too high now. Mm. And this is something that's common in... uh, there's a very um, uh, long study, in-depth study, in in relation to the US-Mexico border, Mm. where it's done by Douglas Massey Mm. and a number of other academics. Mm. And it's very clear that increasing The cost of going to the USA and and restricting movement across the border, making it not only dangerous, it makes it dangerous as well, and it's not just expensive, Mm. Um, means that once migrants are in the destination country, they are much less likely to leave. Mm -hmm. And this is amplified in Syria because obviously you have a number of armed So are you
0: trying to suggest then that the the Lebanese state is trying to control or limit its population by increasing these uh, barriers? it's actually risking generating a second or third generation of Syrians who will now call Lebanon their permanent home, regardless of state policy?
1: Yeah, reluctantly. They will They will probably just have to call it their home mm. because European countries are not taking large numbers mm. of refugees. The, the US, Canada is not. They're taking small numbers and drawing a lot of attention to those small numbers, um, whether it's... Um, uh, Trudeau making a big deal out of taking a, a a number of thousand Syrian refugees and saying, "Look how benevolent Canada is," or whether it's um, a right wing organisation um, pointing to a very small number of refugees coming into mm. the country mm. and making out that this is a this is just the tip of the iceberg, yeah. and also that recently it, it was uh, clear that the story in uh, I think it was. Build newspaper, the German yeah. tabloid, yeah. was completely fabricated. Yeah. The story about sexual assaults yeah. was completely fabricated. Yeah, um, and, so, and these yeah.
0: tiny numbers pale in comparison to estimates as to what Lebanon and Jordan has taken in terms Absolutely. of refugees. Yeah, I,
1: I think we have to also make that point um, because they, do, you know, these countries are being criticised and they are doing things which are. That's the um, gas delivery truck. <laughs> A man going past, uh, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Before we start sort of being a bit critical about some of the policies, I think it's really important to say that Lebanon's taken over a million. There are over a million Syrians registered as refugees in Lebanon.
0: And Lebanon is half the size of Wales.
1: That's right, that's right. And its population is about four and a half million. I think its GDP is something like $45 billion in 2011, whereas the UK's economy is about 2 it's yeah. worth about 2.6 trillion.
0: And Le- Lebanon's standing infrastructure can't address the needs of uh, of its basic population. Never mind a massive influx of uh, refugees. That's correct. Which then exacerbates it and increases host ten- uh, host community tensions and things like this. That's right. But so then, how does the border policy in Lebanon compare with Jordan? Is Jordan now closed or is it open, or what sort of uh, flow can be observed on the Jordanian border between here and Syria?
1: Currently, none. Mm-hmm. Um, since uh, a car bomb attack I think there a, a number of um, members of the Jordanian security forces were killed in an attack uh, close to um, where the Iraqi Jordanian and Syrian borders come together yeah and since then the border has been uh, sealed mm-hmm. before that um, Syrians would come to Jordan um, and they would be met at a number of reception centres. Mm. Um, I think there are about 40 of them along the border, which were managed by the Jordanian army. And then they were taken to um, reception centres, which were jointly run with the UNHCR. So, this
0: is really quite an ordered response to the, to the refugee flow in comparison to Lebanon, then?
1: Absolutely, yeah, indeed. And also, the, the, the difference is um, that with the October policy, In Lebanon, they overrode the bilateral agreement between Lebanon and Syria, which allowed for complete freedom of movement and residency and work between Lebanon and Syria for the citizens of both those countries. Jordan has a bilateral agreement with Syria, which is still valid, which allows Syrians and Jordanians to move freely um, between the two countries. So the same
0: agreement that Lebanon long had, because Lebanon has had this agreement with Syria for how long it's for...
1: And since the end, of the, Civil War, since I the end think. of the Civil War, early nineties. Yeah. yeah,
0: but the, the, so a similar agreement exists and still is on the books between Jordan and Syria.
1: Not as it's not as um, far encompassing. So the the yeah. Jordanian Syrian agreement doesn't allow for free labor. Mm-hmm. So a Syrian who wants to work in Jordan would still have to get a work permit. Mm-hmm. Um, in and there are closed professions. Yeah. So uh, it's not complete freedom. Are
0: there now closed professions in
1: Lebanon? Um I, hmm, I believe there are. Um if unless I'm
0: I think it might be informally enforced for sure, but I'm not sure how far because again like you were saying it depends when the question is where would you rather be, it really depends on your level of capital and how yeah. far you can negotiate this entire system. Yeah. yeah. Because
1: I, yeah. yeah, I remember that the Minister of Labour, the former Minister of Labour, the previous Minister of Labour an al he um, permitted um, Syrians to work in three professions. I believe mm. they were um, rubbish collection, construction mm. and agricultural labour. Yeah. Um, but the thing is with the Ministry of Labour in Lebanon, they only have nine inspectors to enforce their law. Yeah. So they very much rely upon general security or the police. Mm-hmm doing raids and, and so on and so forth. They don't have, in the same way that Jordan has a Ministry of Labour with anything between 200 and 450 people yeah. working on organising yeah. the labour market here. Yeah. So just
0: completely different scales of response between Lebanon and, um, and Jordan.
1: Yeah, I mean here in, in Jordan you can say that the the government is, is doing something. You can see that it's trying to control the situation, you can see that it's trying to manage. Um, the the presence of Syrian refugees mm. albeit in a very securitized way, trying to manage that and also trying to manage their presence in the labor market mm. to a limited degree mm. um, and also the way that the, the Jordanian government has approached the European Union and the, the donor countries for assistance has been much more organized and much more orderly, shall we say, than the Lebanese government has. Now, the Lebanese government does have, it has been working on a, a, it's called the Lebanon Crisis Response Plan. It does have a plan, um, but it it feels a bit more last minute than the Jordanian one. Yeah. And they have less experience of this than the Jordanian government does. Yeah. And the, the plan in Lebanon was largely... Uh, something that emerged after the October policy yeah. with the creation of what's called the crisis cell, yeah. the policy cell which has ministerial authority, the Prime Minister's there, uh, the Ministry of Social Affairs has representation, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, um, the Ministry of Interior, and perhaps there's one more. I think maybe the Ministry of Education is involved, I'm not. Mm. But my point is that they don't have the same experience. The Jordanians. Have had the experience of the Iraqi refugee crisis um, and there are all kinds of contested numbers yeah um, but the, the I think it's understood that Jordan vastly inflated the number of Iraqis mm-hmm. uh, in the country mm. during the as after 2003 in order to maximize international assistance Yeah. and one of the lessons they've learned from that is to um, Build camps. Yes, um, yeah, yeah.
0: So talk talk a bit more about the the difference in living conditions for Syrians in Lebanon and, and Jordan. Because of course, in Jordan there are two very large camps.
1: Yeah, there are two very large camps, and um, there are also a number of smaller camps. Yeah. Um, the two largest camps, uh, the most well-known one is Zaatari refugee camp in uh, Mafraq. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, there are about eighty thousand refugees, formally registered there and, you've, there. and you visited and I did, what sort yeah. of
0: sense did you get from uh, the space and the people there that you spoke to? And, uh...
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I wasn't really able to speak to Syrians while I was there. Mm-hmm. So my visit, I was accompanied by uh, a minder from uh, the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to speak to someone um, working in the camp for one of the international organizations and what I understood was that this was a very sort of ad hoc camp that kind of started off small and then just kind of... And which one was this? Which this one? was Zatari, Zatari, sorry, yeah. So Zaatari has a much more, uh, a much less orderly feel to it yeah. than Azraq camp, which yeah. I'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. So Zatari does have services now, it does have electricity, it does have water, Yeah. and some of the shelters are... Uh, solid, They're not tents, but a lot of them are still tents. Some of them have concrete bases, yeah, although yeah. the government yeah. is very reluctant to allow any permanent structures there, yeah. but they've agreed to this on the basis of, of, of uh, on the grounds that it's more orderly. So Syrians were moving their tents around to be closer to yeah. their families. To so be you have a,
0: a tent in. set up on a concrete yeah. base? That's um, as far as no, the,
1: well, that's that's the the shelters, the sort of solids. Ah, yeah. What do you call them? Like the flat uh, pack.
0: Yeah, demountable uh, amount, shelter. Think. Something, yeah, 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 yeah something yeah,
1: like yeah. that. Yeah, so I don't know what they're made of, um, but the rest are tented or sort of an improvisation between the two. Yeah. And the tents are still
0: on the on, on the
1: hard ground. Um, I didn't go that deep into the, into the, but it has a feeling of like a. More like a like a slum yeah. town, yeah. Because um, the history
0: of the region with uh, refugees and camps is often that you first you have one small thing allowed, maybe a concrete, mm-hmm. maybe a concrete base, mm-hmm. and then eventually over time they say, okay, you can have now uh, you can have a bit of w- a wooden wall. Mm-hmm. Now you can have a tin roof, mm-hmm. and this, if I if I'm right in thinking, is how a lot of the the Palestinian camps in Syria and uh, in, in Jordan began, mm. this slow and I was wondering whether we we're beginning to see we, whether we might see this in Jordan, what is the long-term thinking about what to do with the camp, How, what if it's there for several years, will it slowly become a city because camps mm. often turn into cities or are integrated into cities. But these camps are way out in the desert, right?
1: Zatari is, is a bit closer to Mafraq, um, mm. um, so it is, it's not as isolated as Azraq. Mm. Mm. So Zatari has um, Zatari village to its west and uh, Mujmal mm-hmm. to its northeast, but these are very small mm. towns. Mm. Um, it's named Zatari after Wadi Zatari, mm. and most of the land um, which Zatari is built upon actually belongs to Jamal mm-hmm. uh, municipality. Yeah. Um, but there's a highway which goes to Ezra, sorry, goes to Mafraq, yeah, and to towns in northern Jordan. Yeah. So it's it's better connected. Um, it's very bound. If you look at the uh, layout of Zaatari from uh, from the sky mm. and Google Maps, you can see a, a clear boundary. Yeah. So they've 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 bound the camp. They don't yeah, want it to get they any don't, bigger. Yeah. And they they're very careful about who they let in and out now. Yeah. Um, so Syrians can apply for exit permits. Yeah. Um, as I understand now, it's fairly straightforward mm-hmm. to get one um but there is a process and they can be 24 hour permits or they can be for a number of days depending yeah. on what they're for um and the permits are given by the the police uh yeah so they're called they're, they're called al yeah um and, and they so they've been seconded to the Syrian refugee affairs directorate to yeah. manage the Syrian population yeah so the camps are jointly run between UNHCR which, and and a number of other international agencies, and they provide the services. Um, And then you have the police doing the, they're the kind of sovereign authority. Yeah. Um, And what are they
0: looking for when people are applying for a work permit? Are they inspecting their political allegiances, or?
1: um, To to my knowledge, that sort of thing happens in the um, reception center. Yeah. So when, when the Syrians arrive at the um, informal border crossing points, uh, then taken by the army to um, the reception centre, where you have the UNHCR and a number of Jordanian security yeah. Yeah. agencies trying to work out who these people are and trying to understand yeah. Yeah. who's coming into the country. Well, what
0: I'm getting at, what's the, what's the logic of the work permit? What does it give oh, to do the mean- state? Why does it want to have... Why, did, what, what, what's, why is it in its interest to control this of labour, rather than ah. just allow it to go out and become a precarious sort of um, force.
1: Um, so that well, the work permit issue is 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 separate from the the exit permit in the camp. Yeah. So the I've heard different stories about the the issue of freedom of movement in yeah. and out of Zatari camp. Yeah. Um, and I've heard the so the public relations person for the police in. Zatari camp said we, they weren't extremely strict about these things because yeah. they understood that Syrians needed to work um, there is uh, a labour market issue mm. um, in the sense that there are large numbers of Syrians here now who could potentially compete with yeah. Jordanian labour yeah. however um, there was and maybe there still is uh, a sponsorship system mm. where Syrians who end up in a camp um if they, are, if they have family or a Jordanian sponsor who, who can vouch for them, they can then leave the camp yeah um, and they can live outside the camp mm. um, so most of the people um it's difficult to say because I, I had a, a minder with me yeah uh, but my, my feeling is that m- the, the competition that Syrians present in the labor market is not so much rural agricultural labor, Yeah, um, it's more the professional and mm. skilled labor sets. Yeah. So those professions are closed anyway, Yeah, so they, they can't compete there because yeah. there are various guilds in the country yeah. and they're the ones who issue permits to operate as an engineer or mm-hmm. a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so they' they're they're, be, they're being kept out of the labor market mm. it's a sensitive issue in Jordan because unemployment here is very high yeah and it's um, so bouncing like, it
0: there, is there, you know if you were to compare Jordan and Lebanon, is there a higher degree of illegality in work in, in Lebanon or in Jordan for Syrian refugees that are working illegally um, after the October policy in Lebanon
1: Probably. I would probably say Lebanon, there, there are more Syrians there, there are more, I haven't done a, a systematic study of this, yeah. but I got the impression there are more rural working class Syrians in mm-hmm. Lebanon, both in actual terms and in uh, proportional terms yeah. of the total Syrian population. Yeah. But the work permit issue is interesting in Jordan because now the work permits are a passport to um, rent mm-hmm. uh, from... Uh, the European Union and, and mm. Western donors uh-huh. so they part of the the deal that London that was made after the London conference mm. um, between Jordan and the EU was that um, the EU would uh, relax rules of origin mm. agreements on um, conditions sorry on Jordanian products yeah if Jordan agreed to um, employ well this is this is a contested point. Mm. So, the the Western donors see this number of two hundred thousand, and they hope that it means two hundred thousand Syrians working.
0: Well, oh, so they see a
1: work permit as a sign of working. They see so the number is two hundred thousand. Jordan's agreed. Jordan has agreed to provide two hundred thousand work opportunities to Syrians in Jordan. Okay. Now. If you talk to people from the various Western organisations, mm. they are, ideally what they want, and I guess what we all want, is to see 200,000 Syrians being able to work for themselves and support yeah. themselves, yeah. Um, but it's actually work opportunities. Yeah. So a Syrian who is working in one job in the morning and another job in the evening, mm. is technically, he, he can have two work permits, and that's two work opportunities. So, mm-hmm. also, and this also happens over time. So, a Syrian who has a job with a permit over a period of six months, that job ends, gets another job, yeah. another permit. Yeah. That's two opportunities. And this so is each how each permit
0: counts as an opportunity in the eyes of the EU donors.
1: No, in the so in the eyes of the EU donors, don't really want it that way. Uh-huh. They want to see two hundred thousand people, separate people working. Yes. Whereas the, the Ministry of Labor explained this to me. You no, know, we, we count this as two permits, so even two opportunities. Yeah. So even if it's just one person, one Syrian working, one person a Syrian yeah. person could work a number of jobs yeah. in the space of a year yeah. and could get two or three permits in the course yeah. of that year. Yeah. And that's three opportunities that they fulfilled. Yeah. So this so, is a contested yeah. issue. But the, the idea so it, it it's a new it's unusual for a country to allow refugees to work formally Mm. Um, in the labor market in large numbers. Mm. Um however,
0: it's it's, it's unusual uh, in the entire history of uh, refugee crises around the world to permit that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this is this is quite a, an interesting thing that that Jordan has done. Um but we need to qualify it with the fact that it's also quite conservative in its remit. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't allow Syrians to compete mm. with Jordanians in in Areas where Jordan, you have lots of educated people here, mm. lots of university graduates, and many of them have to go abroad to find work. Yeah, so it's a red line to open professions mm. up to Syrians. Mm. Mm. And so they're being allowed to work in agriculture. Yeah. so there's a slight, there's an innovative uh, work permit in agriculture. Uh, where yes. some cooperatives have been allowed to issue Do you see anything permits. like that in,
0: in Lebanon? Because I remember hearing about Lebanese farmers complaining of labour shortages after the imposition of the new
1: controls I haven't heard anything about that mm. um, but in theory the Syrians who are working in agriculture in Lebanon mm. are, not are not technically doing. illegal but mm. the the problem is that these different constraints intersect um, so i While it may be perfectly legal for a Syrian to work in a particular area in sorry, in Lebanon, the residency issue is is much more serious because what happens to a lot of Syrians when they are arrested by General Security, Mm. um, they're often released after forty eight hours. Yeah. Um, But many of them, as I was told by a lawyer working on this issue in Lebanon, many of them are issued with um, exit orders. So the Lebanese government does not, says it does not deport Syrians. And yes. there, there was only one case of uh, maybe a hundred, I think in 2012, Syrians being deported to Syria. So they don't physically take Syrians to the border to Syria. However, they do issue them with exit orders, which order people to leave the country. Within a number of days, or and what happens if they don't do that? Well, if they don't do that, then they are illegal. So then it's they, it becomes difficult to move around. Yeah. Because there are there are checkpoints, there are. But if
0: Lebanon if Lebanon doesn't deport people across the border, but it does generate conditions of illegality. Where what does it do with illegals? Does it put just put them in prison or?
1: Illegal Syrians? Illegal, or, Ill- or Sy- illegal Syrians with, le-
0: with illegal conditions to stay in Lebanon who have no permits or who've been issued the order to leave and they don't leave and they mm. stay and they become illegal. So, what could the Lebanese state do in response to that illegality of status? Because if it doesn't take people across the borders, mm. it's, it's just turning a blind eye, perhaps, to the fact that there is a huge amount of illegality amongst. Uh, Syrian migrants and refugees. Now
1: it seems to be doing that, um, but as I understand it, um, this varies uh, enormously di- across th- different, different parts mi- of Lebanon. Yeah.
0: So yeah, if you could, if you could speak a little bit about uh, that uh, municipal angle, mm. uh, that I know your work looks at, and also uh, and the different sort of state uh, social responses to the presence of refugees. Because in, in Lebanon, for instance, we see in certain municipalities, uh, a great degree of anger towards the presence, we see the impositions of curfews. Mm -hmm. And as far as I'm aware, there's nothing really like that in in Jordan. Is that Mm -hmm. because of the containment policy or what does your research show?
1: Jordan is much more centralised Mm. than Lebanon, Mm. although Lebanon does have in a sense a centralised state. The the centre is very fragmented Mm. Um, and therefore it can't impose its will. Uh, in the peripheries mm. in the way that the Jordanian state can yeah. and so that's that's really important to remember in Jordan, it is centralised and the state can in, impose its will on, on the northern provinces mm. with regards to Syrian refugee mm. management, I'm okay. not talking about other issues, and mm. it's not been something I've been looking at mm. um, in Lebanon you have You have certain sensitivities and you have certain variations at the local level. Mm. The one that I wasn't able to um, explore myself was the the Hezbollah and Emil controlled areas Mm. in the south of the country where I'm reliably told and I understand from other people doing research on this issue that it's a much more securitized Mm. um, and well controlled process. Mm. So the, the municipalities in the south of Lebanon which are under Hezbollah or ML areas have mm. control. They they count the number of Syrians who are there. They have um, they they invest more manpower in trying to understand who is in the municipality. Yeah. And these this is not an uh, an unusual thing to do. Yeah. It's not unusual for a municipality or a government to count the number of foreigners. Yeah. Who are living there or
0: working there. Yeah. With. I think it's right that we always stress that. That Lebanon and Jordan are not exceptional in how they're dealing exactly. with, with this crisis because often, especially when you're speaking um, as, a, as a Westerner you can sound o- overly critical of, of countries that have done so much more for the Syrian yes. crisis than, than, than our nation states have done
1: yeah, exactly um, and this is the the what the worrying thing is, is the motivation behind it, so yeah. some municipalities are not counting yeah. and others are and um, I, I met with the mayor of Tripoli yeah. and they haven't been conducting a census on Syrians and he, he said, look, we, you can't tell the difference between Syrians and Lebanese in Tripoli. They've been here for so long. Yeah, that's right. There's yeah. intermarriage, the, yeah. accents, the, the are accents are very similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so a factor to consider is the history of the Syrian presence in the particular municipality, yeah. but also how that intersects with regional... Geopolitics, if you like yeah because
0: of course in Lebanon we have the history of the Syrian occupation which is a huge factor yes. in, in breeding degrees of uh holster antagonism towards absolutely absolutely and it wasn't history. that long ago yeah. that
1: um, uh, Lebanese men were disappearing inside the uh, Syrian uh, intelligence command center in Anjar mm. and there are still lots of people missing mm-hmm. and the history is uh, a very difficult one
0: and Jordan just doesn't have that history to the same degree at all. It doesn't
1: have that history with Syrians, mm. and the, the the northern governorates have strong um, family connections yeah. to the southern parts of Syria. Mm. And people say, you know, Ramtha in northern Jordan is is an extension of Dara yeah. in southern Syria culturally. And no, you know.
0: I had I, I've heard from the director of the of the British Institute here stories of. When families would fall out with each other, they would just move the border side in the village, and move their house outside of Jordan and move it back into Syria.
1: Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so this is this is a this is a, a really important factor, and it's also been a factor in Lebanon too, mm. uh, the the family and cultural ties. Yeah. Um, but where Syrians are new to an area, as mm. labor, for example, mm. um, there is. It, there's a bit more I don't want to say fear and I don't want to say suspicion in some areas there is that there's there's a worry yeah. so let's call it a worry yeah, yeah. and it's it's a legitimate worry when you look at it from the perspective of um, a small municipality in yeah. Baqa'at Valley yeah, yeah. which has maybe 10,000 people yeah. um, and maybe two municipal police yeah. whose job it is yes, to exactly. monitor yeah building regulations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also... Can't provide it,
0: electricity, doesn't have yeah. enough... Uh, the water system doesn't work. Can't they get rid of this level of trash and has limited assistance from the international community. Exactly, exactly. Of, co- of course, of course, they would breed these, uh, yeah. th- th- these worries just by the sheer numbers. That's right. And yeah. so,
1: in, in the majority of cases, there hasn't really been uh, an issue with this. That it's not... The issue is not so much... The refugees, but the spillover of the Syrian conflict inside yeah. Lebanon. Yeah. However, it's a very emotive issue. Um, I had a conversation with someone in uh, in uh, Beirut this week, um, who told me about a Christian village where an international organization approached them to offer them money and assistance um, to manage the Syrian refugee population, mm. and they rejected the money and mm. they said, "We don't want the Syrians here." we don't want you here, um, they're bad news, and so on and so forth. And this is a, a village that has a history of, um, a violent history with the Syrian regime. And what were
0: they offered money for, for improving okay. infrastructure? or
1: Municipal development, I believe, and apparently it wasn't a significant amount. So they,
0: so, oh, okay, it wasn't a significant, but they felt if they accepted that money, that would be a, a sort of commitment to the presence. Yeah. Even though often you find that the talk really is that there needs to be a sort of a, a core developmental framework to in, in Lebanon to dealing with the um, presence of Syrians, improve infrastructure at, for the entire municipality, and then maybe it would reduce this antagonism. But that's interesting that yeah, yeah, that they would even reject they would reject that.
1: So this yeah, this particular case. I mean, the 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 Lebanon crisis response plan is about shifting. Um, Assistance towards development, yeah, and they use this term vulnerable populations, yeah, so as not to distinguish between um, impoverished Lebanese and impoverished Syrian refugees, yeah. So the idea is now that the any donor projects must address both of these issues uh-huh. in the country, and then that's a
0: directive from the Lebanese state, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. So that's an is- initiative of the crisis cell. Yeah, um, and Jordan has been doing the same, but yeah. for much longer. Yeah, it's much wiser to it. But of course, Jordan
0: hasn't had a crisis of state like Lebanon has had for the past for, for decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> since yeah. the end of the civil war, but magnified over over the past what four or five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So this this is another issue, um, but you do have. I mean, I've visited a municipality um, not far from Tripoli. Mm where the, the local uh, jamia charity mm-hmm. um, which had been looking after the poor in the town yeah. for years was taking care of Syrians as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, were, they had a record of who was receiving assistance and so on yeah. and so forth. It was a grassroots thing. Yeah. And the person running that, one of the people running that, was also a member of the municipal council. Yeah. And so it was a much more accommodating issue, but what they really wanted was regulation. Yeah. So they said, "Look, we don't want the Syrians to be um, destitute. We're we're happy that they that they have stalls. They were setting up informal stalls, mm. um, and make having an income. You know, we don't want them to have to beg or to be in trouble. But we can't have can't have them next to shops of local people." Who pay municipal fees selling the same thing, Yeah, it's not fair on the local population. Yes, And so what we want the municipality to do is to regulate this more and yeah. um, the municipality doesn't have, as I understand it, the power to uh, charge fees mm. on commercial enterprises. Yeah. It receives fees yeah. um, but uh, as I understand it, it doesn't have the remit to extend the type of enterprises yeah. from which it can collect taxes. Mm. But what this person seemed to think the municipality could do was issue a regulation that said you must be 200 meters away from a stall that sells something similar yeah and um, so the the, the so number of tools that municipalities have to regulate and manage the populations mm. are limited but there is also another layer to this where some municipalities um, have close connections to political parties mm. which have um, more tools in mm. their toolboxes yeah. to manage the population. So where you have, let's just say, uh, a municipality with good connections to a party that has lots of volunteers that maybe has lots of weapons, they can act as a kind of police force, if you like, where there yeah. isn't one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's a very varied landscape. Yeah. So I,
0: I guess if we're, we're putting the Jordan and Lebanon under two categories. So we would say that in, in in Lebanon, from the picture you're painting, the dominant dominant theme is decentralised responses, mm-hmm. whereas Jordan is largely a centralised response to the crisis. Yeah, but with
1: the with the exception of in Lebanon, uh, General Security, yeah. which is the main border management agency. Yeah, um, and that is a very centralised organisation. Yeah, it's it it is it does belong to the the Shia political groups, and this is uh, this is no secret. Oh, it's claimed to belong. It's <laughs> claiming apparently. Yeah. Um, so you have these. You do have this centralized hierarchical institution, but it's under a lot of pressure as well. I mean, mm. just administratively, having a, a million plus Syrians to deal with, whereas before a lot of these Syrians would just go back and forth. They didn't yeah. need any paperwork. So this is another pressure that's on the on the system.
0: So I'm going to well, conclude by me asking you a very mean question to ask a researcher. Mm-hmm. If you were to be the advisor <laughs> to the Lebanese and Jordanian governments mm. as to what they should be doing next towards managing their refugee populations, what would you advise the Lebanese state and what would you advise the Jordanian state?
1: Mm. The Lebanese state is quite straightforward, I think. I think I would just say... And go back to a system that's more akin to the bilateral, freedom of movement, freedom of residency. Um, it would take pressure off um, the uh, the border management yeah. offices, yeah. and it would um, it would cost them a lot less money. And I think it would a- a- enable the Syrians to generate income themselves, yeah. which they can only spend in Lebanon, really. And
0: you, and, you, and and you would think it would respond to the. Um... The counterintuitive nature of having tough border policing, which is that you're forcing about settlement, and the Lebanese state doesn't want to have settlement. Yeah, this is an and unintended there,
1: consequence. I and
0: think. there are areas in Syria where they could return to, and where their families have been internally displaced, and
1: potentially, yeah, this is know. the but the problem is, the problem is when when you have this um, this concrete border. Yeah. The ki- the people who could go to certain areas in Syria. Yeah. Um, when those areas are deemed to be relatively secure, yeah. will not go there because yeah. while those areas may be secure for a, yeah. a period of a number of months or yeah. even a year, that could change very quickly. Yeah. So they need to have somewhere to just to go back to yeah. as a refuge yeah. until things calm down. And of course, I
0: mean, economic life can't really resume in a lot of the, the a lot of areas, specifically rebel-held areas, because things like the, a lot of these. Long term communities in Lebanon would rely upon, which is agricultural labour, mm. can't be restarted because, because all of the basic agricultural input, co- in, input costs are so high, not just because of the reforms, I mean, that's gone now, but because of the war economy. Mm. So a lot of agriculture just can't be restarted. So the thing that would have absorbed that flow, I guess, is, is also still damaged. But it's important to have that fluid option of return.
1: That's correct. Or else yeah.
0: people will begin, I think, to start like you're saying, to settle their lives in Lebanon, which has the opposite effect of what the the state actually wants.
1: That's correct. And it's a very precarious life. Mm. Um and the other thing I wanted to say about Lebanon is there's nothing wrong with, with the state just wanting to know who's in the country and counting. Yeah. But that doesn't it doesn't mean they have to impose such uh, restrictions, which is a kind of structural violence mm. on the Syrian population yeah. um, with jordan it's it's a bit harder for me to say something now i've just I've just finished the fieldwork here but yeah um, it's hard to say open up the closed professions because unemployment is a really serious issue yes
0: especially amongst university graduates and things like this yeah and you have a lot of very educated Syrians mm. and of course in Jordan you know a lot of the Syrians you can't speak um, speak very good English well Jordan operates quite fine in Arabic a lot of the time mm. Mm. whereas in, in Lebanon there's a sort of a linguistic block to them occupying a lot of these professions mm. because of uh, because they operate in, in, in English yeah yeah so I, I think, yeah, I think you're right in suggesting that uh, here in Jordan, um, educated Syrians would be a more threat to the middle class. And the
1: yeah, it's, um, you know, Jordan is a, it's one of the few countries in the region which isn't experiencing a major internal conflict. Mm. Um, it is a difficult neighborhood, as mm-hmm. we all know. Yeah. Um, and Jordan is a huge refuge now, as it has been for a long time. Um, but I'm, I think I, I need a bit more time to reflect on, on what um, I've been hearing yeah. here. That I, I think, I, you know, we can say that the, the government has done a lot to adapt. I'm quite surprised by how much adaptation has happened here. Yeah. Um, in terms of such as the, the legal system, for example, the, the Sharia courts. Yeah. Um, for people who don't know uh, what they do, they deal with things like family... Law with births, with deaths, with divorces, mm. and with the mediation of uh, family disputes and yeah. marriages and so on. Yeah. And they do that in a very um, economically um, accessible way. Yeah. And that's because the family is very valued here in Jordan, yeah. and the state tries, state provides this institution to um, mediate um, disputes without yeah. bankrupting families. Yeah. And this service is available to Syrians as well. And mm-hmm. what they use it for is to register births and marriages yeah. and deaths And this is very important with births and marriages because some of the marriages are not registered and many births are not registered. And the long-term consequences of that, if it's not addressed, is a large population of stateless yes. Syrians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this. Yeah, there, there has been a lot of accommodation here Yeah. Um, I think I. what concerned me was the the way that Azraq camp is so isolated from the rest of Jordan basically. Yeah. So Azraq camp is, uh, again I had a, a minder with me, um, it's a huge area, it's built on a huge area. There's a lot more space, Zaatari felt very claustrophobic to me. Yeah. Um, and there are no tents in got camp, it's all solid shelters um, they're working on UNHCRs providing electricity and infrastructure, it's connected to the national grid now um, not all of the areas are connected for 24 hours but they're working on that Yeah. and um, so when you when you see it it's a much more dignified space to live yeah. in, it's clean. Um, but it's far, it's far from It's me. so isolated, yeah, it's on the highway, that goes to Iraq and Saudi Arabia. So would, I, would
0: would anyone living there be able to to work in anything? Is there industry, or in, I, mean, I guess there's internal industry within the camp? People setting up shops and
1: there are markets. I mean, yeah. when in, an interesting thing that's happened in, um, Ezra camp is that the that Jordanians have been invited to open stalls inside the camp, and I was told that oh. these yeah these Jordanians have been picked because they're seen as very vulnerable families in the municipality. So they've been offered these uh, sources of income inside the camp. You don't have that in Zaktari. But what is the source of
0: income of people who live in the camp? Is it, just, is it uh, it's in, it's handouts from um, international organisations? Yeah,
1: yeah, they receive um, assistance, uh, food assistance, they're not paying for water or electricity, mm. they receive uh, gas for their Do gas Do you think seaters. the work permit scheme will be successful? Um, Yes and no. Mm. Um, so the, the take-up was initially very slow because it was so expensive. Yeah. And um, now we've had a, a series of exemption periods mm. which have led led to the number increasing to something like 39,000. Yeah. Um, they're supposed to be free, but some Syrians are still paying for them. Mm. The empl- If the employer has to pay a fee of 10 dinars, I think, mm. then he'll take it from the wages of the... Mm. Syrians in some cases. And so, yeah. um, the problem is it's it's having a knock-on effect on Egyptian labour. Yeah. And this is the this is another issue. So is the um work permit policy merely displacing Egyptian labour? Yeah. And the 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 answer is mixed because again the Egyptians are doing work which Syrians are not particularly interested in doing. Mm. Um such as Uh, construction Mm. Syrians in Jordan aren't working in the construction sectors, the Egyptians
0: yeah. whereas in Lebanon it is Syrian, that's correct
1: and so uh, another another policy that they're discussing but they haven't rolled out yet is to um, make the work permit also act as uh, an automatic exit permit Mm. for the camp Mm. so the camp dwellers are the ones who are more likely to take these undesirable jobs, mm. according to a, a recent study conducted um, by some uh, researchers here in Jordan, yeah. um, partly in conjunction with the ILO, because they're trying to understand why, why there isn't a big take-up of work permits. Mm. Um, so they found that some of the people they spoke to in the, in the camps were more willing to take these less desirable jobs. Um, in order to get out of the camp in order to generate some income probably yeah. to relieve the boredom yeah um so maybe if there's a bit more activity in in sort of making the syrians in the camps aware of work opportunities if yeah but again it's it's a bigger picture issue because where there are a, a person in UNhcr told me this that and, and this person's been trying to match up Syrians with Jordanian employers yeah. in, the, in the appropriate sectors so that mm. they can work formally. Mm. Um, and where there are lots of Jordanians already working mm. in a factory or in a particular plant, mm. it's more likely the Syrians will want to work there because if there are Jordanians there, it means that the conditions mm. are quite good. Um, the conditions in the qualified industrial zones are not really suited for Syrians with large families. Yeah. They are minimum wage jobs, which yeah. means 190 or 200 dinars a month. Yes. Um most of the laborers there are Bangladeshi, yeah. South Asians yeah. who come here. Um they're single, they don't mind sleeping in a dormitory. Mm. They're not having to pay the for the cost of their families in Jordan. They're paying, the ones who have families are sending money home Mm. um, where life is much cheaper in Bangladesh.
0: Yeah, I wonder that. I wonder whether we saw in Lebanon a lot more single men, whereas in Jordan more people brought families. Mm. I think, um, speaking to other uh, scholars in the area and and an anthropologist uh, working on this, I think that there is a larger amount of families that came in the first instance Mm -hmm. to Jordan, whereas in Lebanon it has a much more... Strong tradition of single men going to work in construction, manual mm-hmm. labor, and agriculture, then sending back remittances. So the responses have had to adjust to that history of of, of, of flows Yeah, between here and there.
1: Yeah, it S- seems that way. Yeah. So,
0: uh, Dr. Ali, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. In the uh, on the for the first ever uh, British Institute podcast. Hopefully, we're going to try and keep this regular and with whoever is around in Amman and is the closest to the expertise of the person um, being interviewed, they'll conduct the podcasts and we'll try and keep them at least to something like uh, once a month. Um, uh, Yes. And also perhaps we will be joined by some of our colleagues at the French Institute as well for these podcasts. And thank you everyone uh, for listening. Thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye.